Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church today. Let's begin by praying together. Heavenly Father, we want to just thank you once again for your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you, Father, that you gave him to us when we were your enemies. He died for us and rose from the dead. We thank you also, Father, that salvation is by grace through faith, not of works. We also thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit who dwells in the hearts of every believer. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the word of God, your word, that penetrates our hearts, that guides us, directs us, challenges us, convicts us. We also ask today, Father, that we would um, prepare ourselves to celebrate the Lord's Supper today at the end, that we would be reflecting on the meaning of his death and on the meaning of the one bread and the unity that we are to have. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand and join us in worship. Good job. New month, so we're looking uh, to support a new missionary organization, Chosen People Ministries. As many of you know, they uh, evangelize, disciple, pray, and serve Jewish people everywhere, and also to help fellow believers do the same thing. They minister to Jewish people around the world. Today, they serve. In 16 countries across the, globe, across the globe, their outreach programs include evangelism and discipleship, messianic centers and congregations. They equip the local church, like us, for Jewish evangelism. They also, print, they also have print and web publications, and they do benevolence work. And with our help, they will continue to do all this work, proclaiming the good news through Jesus the Messiah to Jewish people around the world. Please uh, keep them in prayer. Their website is www.chosenpeople.com, www.chosenpeople.com. One other announcement concerning um, missionaries, and that is Pastor Kingsley. Pastor Kingsley, as many of you know, will be, um, should be going on his South Africa mission trip starting in September 18th, which is a little over a week from now, through September 30th. And I say should be because he needs prayer right now. There's civil unrest right now in South Africa, and it's directed at foreign black people. So, you know, yeah, so uh, xenophobia knows no bounds. You know, it's the hatred for foreigners. And at this point, there are um, elements in that country that are um, targeting black people from other countries. So please keep him in prayer. He's got a tough decision to make, and I know the Lord will guide him to make the right one. All righty, I do, before we get started with today's message... I just want to remind all of us who we are in Christ. And so if, if you'll uh, allow me to do so, I'm just going to mention a few things as we get started today. Number one, you are a child of God. You have a perfect, strong, loving, good father who loves you like crazy. That's 1 John 3.1. See how great a love the father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God and such we are. And you have a mighty God who's for you, not against you. Romans 8, 31 to 32, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, and he is, then who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? And we've been given the most precious and magnificent promises by God, and it's by his own glory and excellence that he's given those to us, 2 Peter 1, 4. That every day we have access to the throne of God. 
We can receive mercy and find grace. Whatever we need at that place, the throne of God. Hebrews 4.16. And Ephesians 2.6 tells us that we've been raised up with Christ and we're seated with God in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's our position. And finally, you and I are members of God's household. You and I are part of God's family. We are fellow citizens with the saints and we're of God's household. Ephesians 2.19. I say all of that because we are in the subject that's not the easiest of subjects. We're just about done with it. But, but three chapters, almost more than that actually, in 1 Corinthians are dedicated to that one subject we've been looking at, which has to do with idolatry. And so at the same time we tackle subjects like that, we always have to remember who we are and build ourselves up by the Word of God. And so I want to do a little of that today before we get started. The title of today's message is, You Cannot Partake of the Table of the Lord and the Table of Demons. You Cannot Partake of the Table of the Lord and the Table of Demons. Let's begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 14. Let's see what this is all about this morning. 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. You judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there's one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Look at the nation of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. But I do say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he, are we? Well, as we've seen, chapters 8, 9, and 10 all address one subject. The subject is the the issue of eating meat sacrificed to idols. And in these three chapters, Paul presents four arguments. We've seen three of them already. We're going to see the last one today. We've seen that in chapter 8, he said, in light of your desire and your practice of eating meat sacrificed to idols, think of your weaker brothers. For them, this, this may be a, 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 a deadly thing for them to see you because it will entice them to go back into that form of worship that they've been delivered out of. Consider the needs of weaker brothers. That's his first argument. Remember his second argument in chapter 9. He says, follow my example. See, his example was giving up all kinds of things for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, he went without food. He went without shelter. He was attacked. All the things that happened to him. He did without a wife. He did without the necessary financial support at times. All so that he would be able to preach the gospel. And he'd become all things to all people. Surely, he says to the Corinthians, you can do without one thing. Yes, it may cause some sacrifice on your part. Because the fact of the matter was that 
Going to the idols' temples was part of the social pattern of that time. And if you didn't do that, some people would take offense. You may not be as successful in the community anymore and so forth. But he says, certainly, I've given up more than you have in the pursuit of the gospel. You ought to be thinking about my example when you make your decisions. Third, remember, and last time we gathered together two weeks from now, two weeks ago, in chapter 10, verses 1 to 13, he then says, hey, let's go to the Old Testament and let's look at Israel in the, in the wilderness. Look what happened to them, those who had seen the amazing miracles had understood that they were the special people called out by the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here they were in the, in the wilderness, and they forgot all about the promises of God, and they turned to idol worship. Don't repeat those mistakes. That's his third argument in chapter 10, 1 through 13. But fourth, his last major argument is what we're going to study today. And essentially, he's saying, don't play with fire. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. You see, there's an issue here with respect to young, weaker believers. There's an issue here with respect to not following Paul's example. There's an issue here with repeating the mistakes of Israel in the wilderness. But ultimately, the issue is your own spiritual well-being, your own temptation. So don't forget that. And he gives us great um, teaching on that. They are putting themselves in grave danger by continuing their behavior of eating in idol temples. And we see that right away in verse 14. Notice, 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. He starts with my beloved because he wants to remind them that they are God's beloved and his. And it's in that place that he wants to warn them about idolatry. Flee from idolatry. As we've seen already in in outline, Paul has been carefully building his argument all along with different arguments against eating meat, knowingly sacrificed idols. He has built up to this climax in verse 14. It's a real simple thing. It's a direction. It's an order. It's a command. Flee from idolatry. This one commandment is the whole point that he's been building up in his argument from chapter 8, 1, and he'll do it all the way through to 11, 1. Flee from idolatry. Run as fast as you can. Run like a grenade is about to go off right in front of you. That's how fast you should run and how immediate your response should be when you're faced with an issue of idolatry in your life. Run, flee as fast as you can. You may recall that Paul said the same thing about sexual immorality in chapter 6. He said flee immorality in the same way. You see, the lesson for us is there are some things from which we must simply flee. Don't stop to think about it. You know what it is. Run away from it. Real simple. You see, so often we want to rationalize. We want to take some time to think about it. We want to come up with reasons why it's okay for a little bit. We can get close to it, but we know we're strong enough to get away at the last moment. But remember, a grenade's about to go off. You may have knowledge, you may have learned in chemistry class that, you know, you need fire and oxygen and a spark in order to create, not fire, fuel, oxygen and a spark in order to create fire. So you're looking at there and you think you can figure out, well, uh, there might be some fuel in that grenade. I guess there's oxygen in the atmosphere, but I haven't seen the spark yet. Boom! The same thing with idolatry. And by the way, the same thing with sexual immorality. Flee. But why? 
Why should we flee from idolatry? Well, here today, Paul is about to make one more argument. And it's his strongest one against eating meat knowingly sacrificed to idols. Because he brings up a tremendous contrast to all of that. His argument today centers around the Lord's Supper, which we will celebrate at the end of the service today. And the gist of his argument is quite simple. Whatever things are opposite, and they are, between eating meat sacrificed to idols, and on the other hand, eating the Lord's Supper, they have one thing in common, and that's this. When you eat and drink with someone, you establish a bond with them. It's interesting, the the word companion in the English language actually comes from the Latin means to eat bread together with. The companion. You see, there is something about eating. In certain cultures, by eating with somebody, you're welcoming them into the family, welcoming them into the community. In other things, think about politics, right? If you go to a dinner that's honoring the Republican, and then you go to a dinner honoring the Democrat, they're going to say, what's wrong with you? See, eating is significant. We don't always think of it. I mean, these days we just go to a drive-thru and throw it down while we're driving. We don't think about it. But the fact of the matter is that eating and drinking with someone means something. It establishes a bond with them. And I I dare say that going back to chapter 6, remember that was Paul's message with the men that were going to prostitutes. He's saying, you may think this is just a casual fling, no big deal. But whether you know it or not, you've established a bond with her. And how can you be a member of the body of Christ on the one hand and establish an illicit bond on the other? But you know, here in chapter 10, it isn't simply eating and drinking, is it? No, it's eating and drinking as a means of worship. This is the key to understand this. When we eat and we, and we eat the body of, or the bread of, and, the, and we drink the cup, we are worshiping the Lord, are we not? Of course we are. Well, it turns out that when the pagans, the Gentiles, eat and drink their animal sacrifices to an idol, they're worshiping the idol. And worse, as Paul's going to tell us, we've already seen today, who they're really worshiping, demons. So the stakes are high, and, and so often we don't see the danger until we see the opposite, right? We see the Lord's Supper as where we should be eating and drinking. And in light of that, then we see how horrible it is to eat at the idol's temple. And that's what Paul is setting up today. Simply that, that there's God's way and the highway. All right? God will brook no rivals. That's the message today. Paul today in this message presents three instances, three situations, three types where people eat and drink as a means of worship. As a means of worship. The first one is his central argument. He says, listen, when you gather together to eat the bread and drink the cup at the Lord's table, you are entering into worship of the Lord. That's the first one. Look at verse 15. I speak as to wise men. You judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing more than just a cup? It's more than just drinking because you are sharing in the blood of Christ. That's what you're doing when you drink the cup. Is not the bread which we break. It's more than just bread because it's a sharing in the body of Christ. You see, it extends to worship. That's what he's saying. Since there's one bread, there's one more thing here. Since there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. You see, he's going to say the same thing in chapter 10 as he said in chapter 6. He's going to say, how can you be a member of the one body of Christ over here 
and then make yourselves a companion, a member, a part of the community that is worshiping idols. You see, it's a contradiction. Those two don't go together. They repel each other. And that's what he's trying to point out to them. They don't see it. You see, they saw knowledge. They saw knowledge. Yes, we know there's only one God and idols are nothing. They saw that part, but they didn't see the spiritual reality behind these things. That requires wisdom and discernment. And as of now, they didn't have much of that. That's why he says in verse 15, I now want to speak to you as wise men. Get wise about this. This, what you're about to hear, requires wisdom. Now in this passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 15 through 17, I want you to notice one word. I want you to keep an eye on it. And that one word is sharing. Notice, verse 16, Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ. It is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ. That word in Greek is koinonia. Many of you are familiar with this word. It has several meanings. It's used several places. Many places, actually, by Paul in his writings. Koinonia. Well, what does it mean? Now, again, think of this in view of what we're saying. Worship by eating and drinking establishes a koinonia. What is that? Well, it's this. It's a close association involving mutual interests and sharing. A close association involving mutual interests and sharing. See, that's what happens when they go to an idol's temple. They are establishing a close association with the pagans, and it involves, whether they think about it or not, mutual interests. There's a reason they're together. It's mutual interests. And if the interest of the pagan is to worship an idol, then guess what you're entering into? You have now a close association with worshiping an idol. And you're sharing in that. In other words, a partnership is established. And by the way, this partnership is not just with the people, but with who's being worshipped. It's both. You're establishing a... Think about it in the Lord's Supper. Are we not doing both? Are we not establishing a partnership in understanding the Lord? We're participating in the fact that we've been saved by the blood of Christ. Yes, we are. We're participating in that. We're forming a partnership, close association with the Lord. It stands to reason then that when you do the opposite... And by the way, today, I know that not many of us are going to be tempted this afternoon to go to some idol's temple and eat lamb, or whatever. But we are going to be tempted to to worship something besides the Lord. And when we do that, we are forming a close association with that. In a sense, we are forming a partnership with it, a bond. And as we keep doing it, guess what? That bond grows stronger. And the bonds we have with the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about union with Christ I'm not talking about anything to do with our salvation. I'm talking in a practical way. How our minds think. Where we're directed toward. How our behavior operates. You see, that all involves who we worship. What we worship. So koinonia is a close association involving mutual interest and sharing. You see, it's a a relationship. It is a partnership. You can't avoid it. It means that we're participating in something together. You see, they thought they could probably sneak in and sneak out to the temple, thinking, well, this is just a business transaction. But they don't understand that it's not just, certainly not to the people there. They don't consider it just a business transaction. They consider that you are an active participant in what they're doing. By the way, so do the demons. They consider, they don't care why you went there. They're just happy you're there because you're now participating in in their worship. And so that's what Paul's trying to wake them up to. 
you're participating in common with these people. You're jointly participating in something. What is it, right? When we, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're jointly participating together in the worship of the Lord and remembering Him and, and proclaiming His death until He comes again. That's what we're participating in together when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. But the question is, what are you participating together with others in when you're eating at an idol's temple? Or, what are you participating with others in in that area of your life where you're tempted to worship anything besides the Lord? Because you see, the demons don't care, right? The principalities and powers don't care what you worship as long as it's not the Lord. So that's what, so think about, no, it may not be eating meat in idols' temples, but it sure could be something. It sure could be something where you're, even if you're just worshiping 10% of, the, of your effort or time, God wants 100. And so think about what is it that I am joining other people in participating in because I'm establishing something I have in common with them and it's not the Lord. It's something else. Now, there, please, don't get on a guilt trip. There are many things that are fine to do. So, for example, you, can jo- you have to, if you're doing it right, jointly participate in a marriage based on what you have in common. Well, that's, of course, ordained by the Lord. We're to work, and we jointly participate in work with our fellow workers. That's fine. Why? Because it's part of God's plan. The question is, what about it when it isn't? That's the issue. That's the danger. So that's what this word koinonia means. And in our context, it means this. When people join together to eat a meal as a means of worship, they're entering into a close association based what they have in common. But you cannot eat of the table of the Lord and of the table of demons. You either have, you have this in common or you have that. And they're mutually exclusive. Right? You're worshiping something. You're either worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, or you're worshiping something else. And that has no commonality. God will brook no rivals. Okay? That's why idolatry is such a terrible sin. So the question then is, what is it that we have a close association with when we eat as a means of worship? It's a close association with one another. The people that are together, they're establishing a bond. But never forget, you're also entering into a close relationship, a close association with the one being worshipped. There's a temptation there. When you present your... That's why he says flee it. Run as fast as you can. Because when you enter into this, whatever it might be, whatever social arrangement, whatever activity, and you know it's, it's, it's actually turning against what God wants. You're saying, Lord, I'm not worshiping you right now. I'm worshiping this. And I've got people around me that are doing the same thing. You see, that's a tremendous temptation. That's a tremendous... You build up to it. You get enticed by it. It's attractive to you. Whatever it is. And I'm not going to fill in the blank today because I don't know what it is for you. But it, but it can be... See, I'm, I'm using the word temptation on purpose. Okay? I'm not saying you're doing it. I'm saying you're tempted. We all are. Don't feel guilty about this. We're all tempted to do those things. We're all human. We all have weaknesses. We all came from somewhere. We all have people in our lives that are not worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ and are trying to get us to worship something else. But have our eyes open to it. And understand that when we jointly participate in that, We are establishing a bond there, and we're worshiping something else, and we're establishing a close association with something else, whatever that might be. You have to decide what that might be. 
That's what's really going on. You see, the close association that they were entering into when they were in those idols' temples were a close association with a demon. Now, that's a strong word. We're going to see this in a minute. We've been talking about eating meat. We've been talking about idols. But Paul's going to follow through and say, do you know what's really there? Do you know what's really behind your being tempted to worship anything besides the Lord? It's demons. People don't like to hear that word. It's interesting when I'm reading different men comment on this. They, they want to stay away from that word. They want to retranslate it, you know, into some kind of, you know, uh, spiritual evil, you know, as if it's a thing, not a person. No, it's a person. It's people. Demons are real. They're real entities. They're real. I don't want to use the word people because they're not human, but you get the idea. And they're real. And that's just the way it is. Now, if they weren't, why would we be warned to put on the full armor of God against the principalities and powers if it's just lightning and thunder? No, it's real individuals that are there and they're our enemy. Not to freak out. We were in the book of Colossians not too long ago. And we saw that when Christ died on the cross, he was victorious over all the principalities and powers. So we have him in us. That's not the point. The point is not to do something stupid that would cause us to open us up voluntarily all right, to the influence of demons. We can't be possessed by them. A lot of people go off the rails on that idea. As Christians, that's not going to happen. But we can be influenced by them. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't talk about the doctrines of demons, which we'll see today he does. He says they're out there formulating their own teachings. And they're putting them into the mouths of people. And we're susceptible to those teachings. And if you don't think so, look around. Look around to the kinds of teachings that even Christians can be susceptible to. But, what, but they're, they're worshiping something besides the Lord. Often they're worshiping themselves. All right? so, we, so we have to understand the reality here. The reality. That's why I started today with telling you who you are. Because this is heavy stuff. And by the way, you know, I know it's tough for you right now. It's been tough for me all week before that too. You know, that's why I've got to tell you something. When I get here in the morning and we, we are together and we sing together, man, that just brings me to a whole new place from where I've been. Because sometimes it's a struggle with some of these texts, with what it says and what it causes us to think about. Why we have to gather together and build ourselves up, one another. That's what the communion service is all about. One bread, one body, one people. But don't, don't mistake this. You see, when they entered the idol's temple, they were communing with the one being worshipped. See, they may have been there only to commune with the business partner or family member that invited them or what have you. And they may have been like clueless or not wanting to think about what was really going on there. But you can't avoid it. Why would God tell us to flee it? If there were things going on there that would entice us that we may not have any idea about. Or there might be other people that are watching us and saying, well, if they can do it, it must be okay. And they're weaker than we are and they're going to be really dragged into it. That's true of the things that can entice us too. It's not just us. That was, that's Paul's message in chapter 8. You know, it's not just us. If you're entering into it and your child sees you, it's them. It's not just you. And, 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 if, and if there's people who are Christians and they see you, and they're maybe they, they, they're new believers, 
and they haven't learned all the things in the Word of God that they need to to protect themselves. They don't yet have the ability to put on the full armor of God yet. They're going to follow you right in there, and they'll probably still be there when you leave. That's the thing we got to be thinking about. This stuff is powerful. Now, again, we have greater power. Make no mistake. But why be stupid? Why put ourselves in that place? Especially when the God who loves us says, get out of there. As soon as you see it, run. Run. But you see, the same thing is true on the positive side. When we eat the one bread and we drink the one cup as one people, we worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, that same thing was going on when the people of Israel gathered together to eat and drink before the golden calf. We saw that a little while ago. It's the same principle. You enter into a close association, you commune with the one you're worshiping, especially when you're eating and drinking in front of them. But on a positive note with the nation of Israel, whenever a Jewish sinner brought that animal to be sacrificed at the altar of the temple, and they, 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 they had part of the meat that they took with them, that's a positive thing. They're communing with the, with the forgiveness and mercy of the Lord. But unfortunately, it's also what goes on when the pagans ate their sacrificial meal in honor of one of their gods. And we should be aware of that. Look at verse 15 again. I speak to you as wise men. Do you judge what I say? It's not the cup of blessing which we bless, a sharing in the blood of Christ. It is not the bread which we break, a sharing in the body of Christ, a koinonia. Since there's one bread, we or many are one body. Let's stay together. Let's not tempt ourselves to turn in another direction. We all partake of the one bread. Now, let's spend some time on this. This is where we should remain, after all. He's teaching us something about worshiping idols, worshiping demons. But he says, no, the answer to this is where we are right now. Understand how to worship the Lord. But what does it mean to participate, to share in the blood of Christ? That's what we do every time we drink the cup in the Lord's Supper. What does it mean? You know what it means? It means that once again we identify ourselves together as people who have been bought with a price. And and what I'm saying is that the Lord owns us. He owns us. We're his sheep, as it were. He's our shepherd. And so that's what it means to participate or share in the blood of Christ. We participate always as people who have all been redeemed by the blood of Christ. That's what it should bring to mind when we drink the cup. We say we're all here together. We're all sinners, and yet Christ died for us. His blood was shed so that we could be forgiven and redeemed and justified. That's who we are. That's what we're saying. That's what we're reflecting on. That's what we have a close association with. That's the bond that we have with ourselves and with the Lord. That's what it means to participate in the blood of Christ. That's what it means to drink the cup during the Lord's Supper. And when we break the bread and partake of it together, we are sharing in the body of Christ. You know what that means? It means we identify ourselves as members. We're all members of the one body of Christ. (coughs) Even when we're coughing. But what we're proclaiming is this. You see, yes, we're all members one of another. But remember, first of all, we're worshiping the Lord. What is it about the bread that signifies the body of Christ that we worship? You know what it is? That in that body, he bore our sins on the cross. That's what it means to participate in the body of Christ. 
to understand that all our sins were poured into his body on the cross. He bore them for us because we could never bear them ourselves. His body, like that bread, was broken for us. And that's why when we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the death of the Lord Jesus until he comes back. Because we're rooted and grounded in the facts of the gospel. And those facts are, are present in a very special way whenever we eat the bread and drink the cup together. And make no mistake, we're all sharing in this. You see, we can't forget one another. We can't forget that what we do, for good or bad, in terms of worship, affects one another. Remember, in another context, the the Word of God says, when one member suffers, we all suffer. We ought to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. What is that saying? Intimate connection. Intimate connection. Well, what happens when one member of the body says, I'm not going to stay in the intimate place where we're all worshiping the Lord, I'm going somewhere else. Can you see how there's a, there's a break there? There's a tug? There's a heaviness there? We don't think of it that way. But we ought to. And don't look, that, don't look back. Don't get guilty about what's happened in the past. Let me tell you something. Whether you realize it or not, there's not anything you can do about it. Oh, you can, you can go to the throne, right? Have mercy. The Lord will always be merciful. He's your advocate. He's been through everything that we've been through, tempted in every way and never sinned. But he's not going to like rub it in our face, is he? He's going to be merciful and gracious. That's the only thing we can do, by the way, with our sins. That's all we can do. That's all he wants us to do. Go to the throne. And by the way, you know when it comes to guilt, you are always going to be tempted with something. You realize that? Guilt is a funny thing. We always think, well, it's just one thing that I'm feeling guilty about. I've got to do something about this one thing and then I'll be okay. Well, I don't know about you. Maybe I'm just OCD Catholic crazy, but when I do that, when I give into that and say, I'm going to deal with this right now, and I feel like maybe I sort of have, which is ridiculous, guess what happens? Right around the corner, there's something else. Boom, now it's time for you to feel guilty about that. You see, that, it's its own seduction. It's his own hell, as a matter of fact. That's not the purpose of these teachings. The purpose is going forward. Forget the things which lie behind. Reach forward to what lies ahead. Understand that the greatest pull of all is the love of God in Christ Jesus. And go with that. That's the lesson. So we all share when we gather together in the Lord's Supper. That one bread unites us as one body in Christ. We are members of one another. That also is what we bring to mind when we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. We are Christians. We are a community that belongs to Christ. We are his bondservants, as it were. We are members of his body. There's nothing tight. He's in us, and we're in him. And that's what we bring to mind when we join together in the Lord's Supper. But there's something I have to point out to you about this. This isn't a casual thing. You know, a lot of people can slip into that with various aspects of our spiritual life. Because we do it all the time, it gets to be casual. It gets to be reflexive. It's not. It's significant. Why do I say that? Because the opposite is too. And we're more likely to even slip into that and think that's casual. We have an area of weakness that when we go there, we realize that we're not worshiping the Lord, but the opposite. And we feel that tug. Let's be honest. We know we're in the presence of temptation. And as, if I can make it personal, in the, temp, in, the, in the presence of demons, don't get goofy on me. They're not going to pop out of the refrigerator this afternoon. 
but what they, but they're real. And they, what do they want? They, they know they can't get in you. Okay. What they want is to you to worship anything but the Lord. Anything. If you want to worship matches, go worship matches. Want to worship the sun? Go ahead. The moon? Sure. Anything. Money? Yeah. Right. Whatever it is that we're tempted to fall into as a means of worship, go overboard in, they're fine with that. We shouldn't be. We shouldn't be. We are one community that belongs to Christ, and this is a significant thing. And we have to think about that and just apply it now. They needed to apply it to eating the meat that they knew. This is important now. They knew it was sacrificed to an idol. That's the issue, right? I mean, you can do something and... You call it in ignorance. I don't really like that expression, but you don't knowingly do it. But when you knowingly do it, that's when there's the trouble, you see. I mean, when you, were, when you didn't know, see, that's why, in a sense, learning the word of God is a double-edged sword. Well, it is a double-edged sword, actually. It's the Bible says. What I mean by that is, is that now you're free, but now you know. You're free from the thing. That's the greatest thing. You're free from it. But now you also know the evil and the power of it. And that's why if you know it, you run from it. Okay. So that's what's going on. When they do that, they understand that they're joining another community. And yet now have something in common with pagans who are engaging in the worship of anything but God. You become a joint participant with the pagans in giving honor to a false god. You may want to write that down. I think I'll do that too. Well, I did. I already wrote it down. I, I, I put that slide together. So. But the point is, is that the next time you're tempted in an area that you know is one of those places that is directly against God's will, and you know it, and you're tempted, rather than fleeing, if you go any farther, you're going to become a joint participant with unbelievers in giving honor to a false god. That's what's about to happen. Whatever that might be. I keep saying that. I don't want to give examples. I could. Maybe I will. But I don't want to give examples because you know what happens sometimes? Sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. But you know what happens with examples sometimes is you're sitting out there and I don't find yours. And you feel like you're off the hook. Well, he talked about sex and he talked about money. Hmm. But he didn't talk about coveting, so I guess I'm okay. You know, that, that, that's nonsense. No, we all have it. <laughs> we all have it. Where, where we go in life, we're going to be around unbelievers. And they're going to have certain things that they do, that they're committed to. And they're going to be seductive to us. Don't kid yourself, oh, I would never. That's, that, that's the Corinthian problem. We have knowledge. We would never. Of course they would. Of course you would. Of course I would. All right. I do. <laughs> you do. Let's not, let's not kid ourselves here. We do. We, 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 we look at it and we step into it. You know, it's like, like the book of Proverbs talks about the person who can't, has to stay away from alcohol. And they take the wine in the goblet and they, they turn it around. And they look at it in the light, you know, and they're like, well, no. Yeah, oh, yeah. Boom. Don't even get that far. Flee. Up oh, there, I just did an example, but it's a biblical one. All right. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 18. Look at the nation Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? Again, the thing is not the issue. Meat 
in and of itself is not the issue. Meat is meat. God created meat to be joyfully shared. That's not the issue in and of itself. Even the idol. You know, like uh, if, you, if you walk down the street and, you, and you're, I, I'm in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, visiting my mom on her 90th birthday. Thank you very much. And I look and I see a statue in a tub for the Virgin Mary. Well, that's nothing. Right? I mean, that's just a statue in a tub. As long as you're not worshiping it. You see the difference? It's not the thing. It's not the meat. It's not the thing made of wood or stone or porcelain. It's the worship of it. That's the issue. The thing sacrificed to idols is nothing. An idol is nothing. No. But I say, here's the problem. The things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons. You see, it's more than a piece of wood. They're entering into a close association with the, the false god that's real behind it. Demons, the enemies of God. I do not want you to become sharers in demons. Paul doesn't mince words here. <coughs> you know, there's no as if or as an illustration or as a metaphor. He says, no. I don't want you to become sharers in demons. He says, he says it right out. And again, meat itself, morally neutral. And didn't Jesus say that? He declared all foods clean, did he not? He did. It's not the meat. God created meat to be enjoyed. Idols are not real. The thing. But here's where things get explosive, you see. It's what goes on in our hearts. It's, it's knowing God, but not honoring him as God. Romans chapter 1. You know what happens when you know God and you don't honor him as God? You have a foolish heart and it easily goes dark. Easily goes dark. That's what happens to the pagans. The worship, I'm going to keep emphasizing it, the worship of idols is evil. Why? Because we're to worship the Lord our God and Him only. That goes all the way back to Moses on, on, on top of Mount Sinai. Look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. See, the Lord made it real clear. And while we can say that we're not under the law, yeah, as a means of bondage, but the principles of the law don't change. In other words, God doesn't change. God saying, I will brook no rivals, does not change. That's why Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody comes to the one Father but through me. Right? Exclusive, exclusive, loyal, one, one way. Well, it's the same thing that, that the Lord on the top of Mount Sinai said. Look at Exodus 20, verse 1. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. We all were in an Egypt. We all were in a house of slavery, but by the blood of Christ, and by grace through faith, we were taken out of the land of Egypt. We were taken out of the house of slavery. We were dead, and he made us living. Then what does he say right after that? You shall have no other gods before me. He will brook no rivals. He goes on. You shall not make for yourself an idol. Seeing it on the side of the road is one thing. Making it for yourself as you're about to worship is another or any likeness of what is in heaven above, the stars, people worship the stars and the moon and the sun, or on the earth beneath, 
creepy crawly animals and lions and all the things that people worship. Or in the water under the earth. You know, the Greeks had gods for the, for the sky, for the earth, and, and underwater. Don't do it. He says, you shall not worship them or serve them. That's key. Because it's not, you might say, well, I don't really know if I'm worshiping while well, you're serving it. Are you, is your life, when you look at your life and you ask yourself the question, in my, in my time, in my service, in my energy, in my money, who am I serving? What am I serving? You see, that's a, that's a more pointed question. Because we can all rationalize away, I suppose, well, I'm not really worshiping this. No? Okay. When you wake up in the morning, what do you think about first? When you have a little extra time, what's the first thing you go for? When, I, when you have a little extra money, what's the first thought you have to use it for? And so forth. You see, there are things we serve that we think, well, okay, but I'm not worshiping it. Well, he says, you know what, neither, please. You shall not worship them or serve them. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Can we relate? This relates to us in life. You know, if you really love somebody, it's not unusual for you to become jealous. And sometimes that's just fine, by the way. You know, we think jealousy is evil and horrible. Well, but then God's jealous. So what does that mean? There must be another kind of jealousy. A kind of jealousy that has love and is wounded by when the lover turns around and goes somewhere else. That's what he's talking about. I'm a jealous God. And he goes on. He says, look, this is personal. I visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children. Now, he doesn't do that for the church. Nevertheless, the principle hasn't changed. He's angry. On the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, yes, this is, a, this is a principle of law, but the same thing holds. He's, he looks at us and he says, look, all of you have been bought by the blood of my son. Why are some of you turning away from me and hating me while others are loving me and keeping what, that, what my word and my will is for them? But again, the principle here is it's not the idol. It's the idolatry. It's not the thing. It's the worship of the thing. That's why it's not money. Right? Is money the root of all evil? No. What is? The love of money. You see it? Love of money means that's what I'm worshiping. You get it? What you love, that's what you spend. That's you serve what you love, who you love. And that can be fine. God says, I want husbands to love your wives. Serve them. Sacrifice for them. But see, that's in God's plan. That's an extension of it. He said, when you're doing that, you're honoring me. Right? So again, there's a good use and a bad use. And never, never forget that. Don't get scrupulous. But be clear what God's will is and is not. Verse 20, but I know, but I say that the things that the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. Here's the point. Idols are not real. Demons are real. Is that simple enough? See, I love these, these things I can always relate to and keep. You know, some of the other stuff, it gets too complicated, but this is right straight on. Idols are not real, but demons are. And that's the point. And the fact of the matter is that the pagans sacrificed their animals to demons. That's what he says. The things which the Gentiles sacrificed, they sacrificed to demons and not to God. And I don't want you to get involved in that, he says. By eating meat, now here's the key to remembering. By eating meat, sacrifice to demons, and he's saying to the Corinthians, now you know. Now you know. You may have gone into this thinking this was just the social practice and you know, having a good time and all of that. 
Now you know, those people that you eat with, they're sacrificing that to demons. When you go with them and you eat that meat, you become partners with the demons. He doesn't mince words anymore, does he? He brings it out of the realm of people and into the spiritual realm where it belongs. Why? Because it's worship. You can worship God or you can worship demons. Okay. That's why I had to start today with telling you who you are in Christ. Because this stuff is heavy. I know that. But again, the principle here is really this. When you want to think about demons, don't think about scary things popping out or, you know, creepy crawly things or the house is haunted and all that stuff. No, that's not how they operate. That's not how they operate at all. You know how they operate? Promoting the worship of anything other than God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what they're afoot doing. That's what they're trying to engineer in your life. Not scare you, but to get you to worship anything other than God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be Baal or Zeus or Allah. It could be the sun or the planets. It could be a political figure or a religious leader even. It could be money. It could be sex. They don't care. Demons are real and they promote their own teachings, their own doctrines. And those doctrines are deadly lies. They lie about God the Father. They lie about Christ. They lie about the Holy Spirit. They lie about the gospel, the blood of Christ the body of Christ, and they lie about the word of God. Please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. I just want to show you that demons are real because this is what Paul says about them. But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, explicitly says... All right. That's to say, look, pay attention to this one, please, because the Spirit explicitly, there's a message here that you might miss. I don't want you to miss it. The Spirit doesn't want you to miss it. He came out and said this explicitly, that in later times, some will fall away from the faith. How? By paying attention. (laughs) That's what we do. We don't flee. We pay attention. Ooh, what did he say? Ooh, let me listen to that. new. I haven't heard that teaching before. Oh, there's a lot of people going to church X right now. I wonder what's going on. There must be something wonderful. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of what? Demons. Demons, they're real. By means of the hypocrisy of who? Liars. What does that tell? How do they do it? How do the demons get us to listen to their doctrines? How do we get get us to pay attention to them? By means of the hypocrisy of liars. People who lie. That's how they operate. They don't, again, I keep saying, they don't pop out of the woodwork. They don't hiss, smoke, and all that. No, they just put their teachings into the mouth of liars and hypocrites. Seared in their own conscience. Notice this, as with a branding iron. What do they do? This is real interesting. I want you to notice. Men who forbid marriage. Men who advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. You know, it's something else, aren't they? In other words, you have, you have food here, you have sex, and they can go both ways. This is what I mean. They're going to encourage people to go in the wrong direction with these things, to eat the food sacrificed to idols, to have sex with somebody besides your wife or husband. They'll tempt you that way. And if they can't get you that way, they'll take the same subject and go the opposite direction. Now, I'm going to forbid marriage entirely. 
Now I'm going to forbid you from eating foods that God has given you to, to eat. You see it? They don't care. They'll go either way. As long as you're not right there where the Lord wants you to be, they're fine. You can go in that direction or that direction. It's amazing. Encourage the wrong use of things and forbid the right use of them. Eat what God has forbidden. Does this sound like anything, by the way? Eat what God has forbidden. That's what they were doing in the temples. Where did that start? Eat what God has forbidden. There's one tree and one fruit that God forbade you to eat. And when the tempter came around, what did he do? He tempted you to eat what was forbidden, the one thing. Abstain, though, from what God has created for us to share in. Main point, demons are evil. When unbelievers worship their idols, the idols are fake, but the demons promoting the idol worship are real. What are we to do when we realize we're in the presence of demons? What are we to do? Flee. Exactly. First 20, 10, chapter 10, verse 21. Go back to 1 Corinthians 10. We're wrapping up, getting ready for the Lord's Supper. Can't wait. Can't wait to get off this subject, actually, if I'm being honest. I'm just being honest. I got to do it. I did it. I did my best. But I'm looking forward. I'm actually looking forward to, actually, if you want to know, I'm looking forward to chapter 12 when we get into the spiritual gifts. That's really, because he's got some more stuff, tough stuff to say in chapter 11. We'll get to that. Ladies won't be happy, but, oh, well, I'm, an, I'm, I'm not here to please people. I'm here to tell you the truth. 1 Corinthians 10, 21. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy like the Israelites did? We're not stronger than he. We're not stronger than God. We're going to see what this means in one second. But you cannot worship the Lord and also demons. God won't put up with it. See, the demons don't care. They're happy if you worship God and worship demons. Sounds strange, but they are. They only want to get 10%. And they're happy because they've stolen it from God. But God's not that way. God demands exclusive worship, 100%. That's what he's looking for. And we're not going to go there today in the interest of time, but it's interesting that the Lord told Satan that. Satan came to him and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He said, I'll give it all to you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus said, get out of here. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That's the point. God will have nothing to do with demons. Oops. Jesus cast out demons, didn't he? Whenever he came upon them, he threw them out. Get out. Well, nothing to do with them. So the point is, if we think we can sit down with demons and have it, not have it burn us, while well, we must be more powerful than God, who never wanted to be in the presence of them. You see it? We must be more powerful than God. That's what he's saying. And I don't have time to read it today, but let's read. Go when you have a chance. Read Deuteronomy 32, verses 16 to 22. It talks about the jealousy of God. How, how when they sacrificed to demons and not to God, they were forgetting the God who gave them birth. And he said, you made me jealous with what is not God. Jealousy. And a fire is kindled in my anger. Make no mistake, our God is a jealous God. He wants all of you. He doesn't want you slipping away for a while and having a little tryst with the opposite folks, the demons, and all that they stand for and all the lies about God. He's jealous. He doesn't want any rivals. And make no mistake, eating at the table of demons 
is committing spiritual adultery against the Lord. I know that's hard language, but that's the, this is spiritual adultery. All right, there are a lot of things people say that aren't, but this is. The worship of demons is spiritual adultery against the Lord. That's why he's jealous. See, jealousy and anger, you know what they really are in God's case? They're the fire of his wounded love. His, his love is so all-encompassing <laughs> that when it's wounded, it comes out as jealousy and anger. And that jealousy and anger is a fire. And that fire wants to burn away anything that has to do with the adulterous bond that his loved ones are forming with anything. But be careful that you don't get singed. You see, if you're in the way, that fire may, may touch you too. All right? But again, realize that it's a fire of love. I know this seems contradictory, but that's what the Bible teaches. It's his love just erupting and saying, I will no, no more will I put up with you worshiping anything besides me. All right, be warned. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for opening our eyes to the truth about what it really means to worship idols, to worship false gods. We know that it means that demons are trying to get us to worship anything but God. But Father, help us instead to move closer to the Lord. And there can be no better way of doing that than right now what we're about to do, which is to bring into remembrance the death of the Lord. And we ask you, Father, that we would enter into this wholeheartedly today, understanding the freedom that he bought for us and the love that he has for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This time I'd like to invite the ushers forward and to pass out the communion elements. Well, I imagine it won't come as a surprise to you that we're going to take our Lord's Supper portion today from 1 Corinthians 10, 16 to 17. It is not the cup of blessing which we bless, the sharing in the blood of Christ. It is not the bread which we break, a sharing in the body of Christ. Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body. We all partake of the one bread. The Lord's Supper is a sharing. It's a koinonia. We all participate, but we participate as one body, as one. We're all together. It's a sharing in the blood of Christ who shed his blood for us. It's a sharing in the body of Christ. He was wounded for our transgressions. By his wounds, we are healed, all of us. Because all of us, like sheep, had gone astray but the Lord caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Christ. It's the one bread. It's the one loaf because we are one body. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All are justified as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. For I received from the Lord, that's what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus... In the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. In remembrance of me. Let's drink the cup. For every time 
eat this bread and drink the cup. You and I, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's the memorial that we do together. We remember him. We remember his blood that purchased us. We remember his body that took on all our sins. We do that by eating the bread and drinking the cup. We proclaim the death of the Lord. We proclaim it by doing it together, by understanding our unity and understanding how that unity moves with us. That when we're out there, we're not alone. When we're, when we're telling somebody about Jesus, we're not alone. We're all members of one of another. We're all there. We're all praying for each other. And we're going to do that until he comes. Until he comes. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for setting us straight where we need to be set straight, but always reminding us at the end, through, your, through the Lord's Supper today, the, the, the love you have for us, that you so loved us, that you gave us Jesus, and his body and his blood was sacrificed for us. We know, Father, that we ought to turn and live as those who have been bought by the blood of Christ and to preach the good news of his death to all that we can. Help us to do that. We ask this in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we close today, a couple of reminders. We have a Bible study every Thursday. We'll have one this Thursday at 7 p.m. We are, we are rejoicing in the truth of eternal security. That when we believe in Jesus Christ, we're saved, and nothing will ever change that. We, can, we are eternally secure. God has rooted us and grounded us in his love, and in his son, and we, that will never change all the way to eternity. That's what we're studying. So please join us. Also, please continue to give us your prayer requests. We pray for your prayer requests on Thursdays at the end of that Bible study. Please give us your requests. And, and if anybody wants to give, remember that the principle is freely giving, as we have been given by the Lord. God loves a gracious, cheerful giver. That's the heart he wants when we do it. And let's never forget the gospel of Jesus Christ. There may be somebody who hears this message today that needs to hear the good news, maybe for the first time. Maybe for the first time it'll pierce your heart. But the fact of the matter is is that we're all born sinners. All of us, everybody here, everybody in the world, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But all of us can be justified despite being sinners declared righteous by God and forgiven of all our sins because Jesus Christ died for all our sins and he raised from the dead for that life that will never end. And by believing in Christ, we'll never perish but have eternal life. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. All right, one more time. Let's close. Father, we thank you for the truth of the good news. We thank you that we are your ambassadors that can go out and preach the good news. Help us to take advantage of every situation where we realize this is another time and we can do it. Help us to do it with joy and directness, with grace, but not flinching, to be bold with the truth. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You are dismissed. Enjoy this day. Anybody wants to talk about anything, I'll be up here for a while. Got any questions?